by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. You don't have to be in your car to listen to U92. You can listen online anytime by going to www.u92themoose.com and clicking Listen Now. The Moose is also on TuneIn, Radio FX, and the Alexa app. Tune in anywhere, anytime. U92. WWVU FM, Morgantown. You don't have to be in your car to listen to U92. You can listen online anytime by going to www.u92themoose.com and clicking Listen Now. The Moose is also on TuneIn, Radio FX, and the Alexa app. Tune in anywhere, anytime. U92. Hey there, uh, U92 The Moose listeners. This is uh, Hills and Headlines. You know, we're doing a news show for you guys tonight. And tonight we're going to be talking about the 2023 Farm Bill. And you may be asking, well, what's important? You know, I'm not a farmer. What's important about the Farm Bill? So, Claudia, why don't you explain uh, what the Farm Bill is and some important components of it that maybe people aren't aware of? All right. Hi, everybody. I'm Claudia. And the Farm Bill is a big package of legislation that's reauthorized every five years. And at the end of this year, it will be renewed and revoted on. And there's a lot of really important components of it, namely the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which is SNAP. And SNAP is exactly what you would think. It's food stamps. And it provides more than 40 million people worldwide with food on a monthly basis. And in Appalachia, more than a quarter of rural families with children rely on the program. Um, it really impacts food consumption. It provides funding for nutrition programs, um, such as the Farm Bill, and several offshoots, like uh, the Gus Shoemaker program as well. You can use it to buy food at farmer's markets and grocery stores, among other things. And it really greatly impacts food insecurity in the state of West Virginia. It seems like uh, the bill's passage is often delayed. You know, the past couple farm bills have been behind. Do you know any of the impacts that might have on people who need uh, SNAP benefits or other parts of the farm bill to get by? Well, um, West Virginia is the fourth hungriest state in the country. So food stamps are incredibly important because we have many people at home here in West Virginia that are struggling with getting food and their basic needs met on a daily basis. Um, I actually interviewed two people that work for the Morgantown Community Kitchen right here in Morgantown. It's inside the Trinity Episcopal Church. You've probably walked past it a million times if you're a student here on campus or a Morgantown resident. Um, they feed people every day. I think usually they feed about 200 meals a day. It does vary. And that's not people, that's meals. So they also have take-home meals. So if they have enough food, they will send people home with extra. Um, I have a little clip from one person I interviewed, Cheryl Pritchard, on the types of people that come into the kitchen because there's a huge stigma that people who go to soup kitchens and food kitchens, that they are unhoused, um, and oftentimes they're not. There's a lot of people that are food insecure that may not be homeless. So that's... Yeah. But we also have people come in who have families at home, and... The dad will come and say, could I take uh, meals home? 
for my wife and the kids. Um, we have people who work who come in on their lunch hours to pick up food or to eat a lunch here because it's just too expensive to spend money five days a week to either pack a decent lunch or go out and buy one. Yeah, so as I said, that was uh, Cheryl Pritchard, president of the board of directors at Morgantown Community Kitchen. Um, and she's just essentially saying that people come in here, come in there that aren't homeless. You know, it's people who need to feed their families. It's parents who come in and get food for their children. Um, I was, I've been in there quite frequently the past couple of weeks because I'm doing a photojournalism project on a couple of people that work there. And it's, I mean, it's, it's very different than what you would expect because there are a lot of people who are food insecure in this state. Yeah, interesting. So we also have Kylie here with us. Uh, who did you talk to for the show, Kylie? Um, I talked to Kristen McCartney. She's the SNAP Ed Director for West Virginia and a public health specialist with WVU Extension. She administers the SNAP Ed Grant for the state, which like she writes the plan and she oversees the implementation of the program. Um, she supervises about 20 health educators in the state. They educate about 44 counties, I believe. Um, so she trains them, um, she works with administering them funds, and she designs public health programming for the state. Okay, okay. And I talked to uh, Sydney Vega, who is the program assistant for student engagement and leadership at the RAC, which is WVU's student food pantry here. And they serve hundreds of students um, per year. Uh, in their time on campus, they've served tens of thousands of students here. And interestingly, uh, there was a survey done last year of a thousand WVU students that found 45% reported some level of food insecurity. 25% uh, said they had low food security and 21% had very low food security. So those are some startling numbers. And according to Vega, they might even be a little bit underreported because many people don't actually know that they're food insecure when they really are. That you're answering, um, you don't necessarily perceive them as like, oh, I'm fine here because I eat ramen every night or because I get Chef Boyardee or whatever. Um, you would probably think you're food secure, but the actual definition is being food secure is having access to nutritional um, foods such as fresh produce, um, meats, um, items that aren't as processed or aren't processed at all um, and being able to have full access to those without any barrier. Yeah, and that's definitely a huge issue for a lot of college students getting uh, not only just accessing food, but accessing healthy food, which is a big deal. So as you know, we're all college students. Uh, Claudia, do you have any issues, um, you know, getting healthy food, planning for grocery shopping trips, anything of that nature? Yeah, groceries are incredibly expensive, especially if you're buying for one person. It's kind of honestly insane at how expensive groceries have become. And um, actually, over the summer, July 7th, 2023, SNAP benefits were cut off to students because they had actually been extended over COVID. They added some extra, um, I guess, they, they made it less limited to people over COVID because of how many people were struggling. But they took that away in July of 2023. So now students no longer have access to it. And there are a lot of hungry college students out there. Um, nationwide, 30% of college students face some level of food insecurity. Um, and as I had said earlier as well, West Virginia 
is the fourth hungriest state in the country. So that really definitely says something that there's so many hungry people. And we are very lucky that we have a program such as the Rack that can provide food for students who need it. Have either of y'all ever been into the Rack at all? See what they're about? Or? Yeah, I've actually used it a couple times. What do you think? I like it. I think it's cool. I mean, it's awesome that we have a program that provides fresh produce and stuff for students, and it is for free, which is great. And it's really easy to sign up, too. Like, people really should utilize that more because it's not like there's really a requirement. It just says, would you like more fresh produce? And then you say, yeah, and then you can go get it, which is pretty cool. And you had mentioned that those benefits had been extended to college students, but did they end because the pandemic was declared over? Yeah, it was around the time that the pandemic was declared over, and um, also it cost a lot of money for them to extend it. Um, I had actually tried to apply over the summer as well for SNAP at one point, and I couldn't get it because I am a student. Yeah, oh. um, sorry. Um, when I talked to Kristen, she actually talked with the SNAP ed program, they're not prohibited to work with, like, colleges and college students so all of like all those um education programs where students can learn how to uh conserve their food it's just not available for them yeah and especially during the pandemic that was a really tough time for a lot of people gas prices were rising uh, food prices were rising and sometimes you know the line uh between being food secure and being food insecure can be pretty thin you know it can be pretty easy to feel like you're food secure and then all of a sudden something happens and uh you know you end up becoming food insecure and hopefully i have a clip that i can pull up here play. people have circumstances that pop up out of nowhere that all of a sudden they need assistance in some areas so that they can allocate money towards another thing like car trouble car broke down have to allocate grocery money to car repair so they obviously are going to need us for a short period of time. Hospital expenses, death in the family, um, unexpected uh, school expenses that weren't approved for some reason or another. So like, there, there's a lot of reasons why someone could no longer afford food in a blink of an eye. Yeah, there are definitely... A lot of reasons. There also there have been a lot of barriers to uh, you know people being food secure in the state for quite some time. Uh, up until 2019, West Virginia had a full lifetime ban uh, on SNAP benefits for people with drug felony convictions. Uh, in 2016, over 2,000 individuals with drug felonies in West Virginia were denied SNAP benefits because of this. Um, do you, you have any thoughts on that, uh, Claudia? What, what do you think about pretty you know? interesting numbers there yeah that's pretty nuts um especially given you know just because you're a felon it doesn't mean that you deserve to starve which is a really awful thing that our state did in my opinion um it also just goes to show that like taking away people's ability to feed themselves doesn't help like it's not going to help you recover from any substance abuse disorder that you might suffer from it's not going to help you get a job that pays better if you can't eat it contributes to like the stress of poverty that you just can't get over when you can't meet your basic needs, which everyone deserves to eat and everyone deserves to eat healthy, nutritious food. And it hurts your ability to plan your next steps in life because you're constantly just trying to stay fed. Yeah, no, definitely. And something related to this is work requirements for SNAP benefits. I know you've done a lot of research on this. Um, I know, you know, you have a pretty strong feeling on work requirements. So what do you think? I mean, are they effective? Are they necessary for people receiving SNAP benefits to have to work a 
a certain amount of time per week? No, not at all. I think that work requirements are especially problematic in a place like Appalachia and West Virginia specifically because it can keep people motivated from maintaining a job. I mean, it's you, there's so many different um, facets of like being a worker in the workforce. And, you know, you have to be able to pay for gas. You have to be able to figure out traversing mountainous terrain like we do in West Virginia that you might, if you don't have a car, how are you going to get anywhere? You might, you can't walk here. You know, we're in Morgantown. Where are you going to walk? Um, it's, it's difficult to find a job in the first place because of this. So these work requirements are just counterintuitive because you're not, you're just, you're essentially letting people starve with work requirements. Yeah, and these requirements, uh, they were passed ostensibly to increase employment numbers, right? But there's really not much evidence, at least in West Virginia, to support that claim. Um, and like you mentioned, really the, the main result is that many thousands of people just lose access to nutritious food. Uh, there was a DHHR analysis of nine counties here uh, that implemented stricter work requirements, and they found that actually by uh, removing these people from being SNAP recipients, there was an estimated $13 million in federal food assistance uh, dollars that were lost as a result of this. And over the time period, it was from March 2016 to March 2019, when they were analyzing these counties, they actually saw a decrease in employment growth uh, compared to the rest of West Virginia counties. So pretty counterintuitive, I would say there. Um, so at SNAP-Ed, do they kind of help educate people about this? You know, maybe uh, letting people know, here's how much you have to work, here's what you have to do to get uh, these benefits? Yeah, so um, in SNAP-Ed, it's the educational branch of the SNAP program. So they work to educate low-income audiences about nutrition and how to use their food dollars wisely. So if people have trouble kind of like putting together the money and trying to use their resources correctly, that's where they come in. Um, and it was in part of the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act of 2010, and they're also tasked with obesity prevention in youth. And I have a clip right here about public health programs. Let me see if I can find that real quick. I got it. We're pulling it up real quick. We're just having slight, slight technical issues getting the clip open, but. It's loading. It's buffering, actually. <laughs> I'm not sure why it's buffering. But... I'm just going to keep talking. So that's where the oh, public health programming comes in. Um, the USDA calls it like policy systems and environmental change. So not only do we focus on educating people, you know, through classes, um, but also try to find what things um, in their environment, whether it's like a school or community setting or work site, are influencing their behaviors and, and try to improve those. Yeah, so um, what Kristen really like uh, emphasized when I was talking to her, she was emphasizing the importance of uh, nutrition uh, security instead of food insecurity. Um, and part of that project was to create more access to fruits, vegetables, water, and also opportunities for more physical activity. Well, those all sound like really great things. Um, did you want to play the clip there, or was that uh, a little bit like, is this access to food? I mean, you can, yeah. Okay. 
it's not enough just to have food because all food is not equal. Um, really what we need to be focusing on is making sure people have access to food that will promote health and um, nutrition. So, so we talked about that at Mountaineer Food Bank. Like if our goal is to increase nutrition security, like what are we doing towards that? And there's actually a lot that we're doing with them and other partners to bring mostly fruits and vegetables to folks who need it. Now, is this something uh, that happens at the community kitchen as well? Do they try to prioritize uh, healthy foods as well? Yeah, they, they specifically serve hot, nutritious meals. Um, most of the time when I've been there, it's usually things like uh, chicken and rice or like spaghetti and meatballs, things that have high protein and high carbs because these people need calories. They're not eating as much as they should. Um, there's always some kind of vegetable included. They actually get a lot of donations from places like Olive Garden, which I actually thought was really cool. I didn't expect that. Uh, but yeah, they have a lot of donations from Olive Garden. Grocery stores will donate food that has expired or, or is just about to because a lot of times it could still be used. A sell-by date isn't, you know, a concrete end to when food is fresh. Um, they shop at Sam's Club. They're able to get a lot of bulk, nutritious food. And it's good because, I mean, the kitchen just shows how, like, we don't utilize these things as much as we should. And they are incredibly lucky because they have a lot of funding and they have a lot of support in Morgantown specifically. That does come in part because they are a branch of the Trinity Episcopal Church, even though they're not religious. It's not a religious-based soup kitchen. Um, so it really just goes to show, like, you, if you if you are hungry or if you just feel like you're not getting enough nutrition in your life as a student as a, and a regular person, as an, a worker, you can go there and you can take advantage of what they have to offer. And there's a Pritchard quote right there, too, and why people come to the kitchen. Not everybody's homeless that comes here. We have students. We have families. We have elderly people. We have people with disabilities. We have people who are working but just simply don't make enough money to make it through the month on their budget. So we're supposed to feed people who are hungry, and that's what we do. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the other points that I had talked about with, the, with both of them, both uh, Cheryl and Ori, is that SNAP benefits are given to people at the beginning of the month and then they run out by the end of the month. So at the beginning of the month, they might only be serving 100 people a day and by the end of the month, they're serving 200, 300 because people don't have those benefits anymore. So, you know, SNAP is a really great thing, but it does go to show there's still room for improvement and that people are still hungry even using food assistance programs like SNAP. Uh, what are like roughly uh, the numbers? Like, how how much per month um, would your average household, maybe let's say like, you know, one child, how, how much would they get from SNAP? Uh, do you do you know that? I believe currently SNAP benefits are worth like six dollars a person per day, which is really not very much. I mean, you can't even buy a McDonald's meal with six dollars, and that's for only one meal. It is six dollars a day, which is pretty crazy. Um, it really, it, the, the wor its worth has gone down over the past couple of years as well. It used to be more significant, and it was more significant over COVID as well, but in the past year, it's gone down greatly. Yeah, that is certainly pretty meager, I would say. Um, and, you know, we had been talking about uh, work requirements earlier and how benefits just, you know, they're getting harder to obtain, I would say. Um, by October of next year, the age to meet these work requirements uh, is going to be increased to 54, so 
any able-bodied adult uh, ages 18 to 54 um, you know, has to be working at least uh, 80 hours a month to qualify, so 20 hours a week, which you know, for a lot of people can be difficult. Um, there's a lot of people who don't technically qualify as disabled in this country, but functionally are disabled, and uh, they're going to miss out on really essential benefits. Um, and there's actually this one bill that was introduced earlier this year that wanted to raise the age to 65, which I don't know about you. I think that's pretty crazy, you know, work requirements until you're 65 years old. What do you think? What do you think about <laughs> <Yeah>. that? <laughs> no, that's crazy. Yeah, like, you should not. You should not have to work when you're 65. No, we, not at all. Like, I feel like once you hit that point, you should. Yeah, not not to sound like France, but <laughs> we. You shouldn't be working until you're 65, yeah. no doubt. And you shouldn't be working that much in order to simply eat. No, you should literally. be able to eat, no matter what age you are, no matter how much you work. We are a first world country, which I know is not the best term out there, but you should you should be able to provide for yourself and your family in this country easily. Yeah, and it's not just a problem for older folks who might not be working as much as well. It's also a problem for college students. You know, a lot of college students with uh, their schedules, they're super busy. Um, they might still be dependents, uh, you know, on, on tax forms. So, you know, I talked to Vega about that a little bit and how hard it is sometimes to qualify being a, a college student to qualify for SNAP benefits. It's very hard to get over some barriers when you're in college because of how the application is laid out um, and just because of the restrictions. Because a lot of people, their income is based on their parents because they may be dependents. So if your parents don't qualify, you will not qualify. Um, especially if you don't have any income Um, yeah, so I know, Claudia, you had mentioned trying to apply for SNAP benefits earlier, right? What was that process like? Do you think it was pretty difficult? Yeah, they definitely uh, purposely make it difficult so that not many people apply. Um, I only applied because I'm eligible for a work study in West Virginia, which I have one currently. And uh, that's how the benefits were actually extended to college students. So it wasn't extended to college students across the board. It was extended to work study students in college. So you had to have already been below a certain line where financial aid would offer you a work study to apply. And then I actually, the reason why I wasn't able to get it over the summer specifically was one, because the, the student benefits were being cut off and also because I wasn't working my work study actively over the summer. You have to be working it currently in order to get SNAP benefits, which is pretty ridiculous. So you have to be, you know, that just goes, it ties right back into the work requirements thing. I'm at home for the summer. I'm working another job outside of West Virginia University, and yet I can't apply for food assistance through that because I'm not working for the university actively. It's just very, it's very convoluted. The whole process was, it was like a 30 minute phone call. They ask you every single thing that they could possibly ask you about. And it's, it, you know, it's not something that, it shouldn't be like that. It should be much easier for people to get food if they need it. Yeah, no, definitely. And like you had pointed out earlier, you know, we're not talking about getting insurance or something else. We're talking about food. You know, people, obviously, everybody needs food to survive and just get by. So it's pretty ridiculous, uh, in my opinion, that, you know, you have to go through all this red tape just to, you know, get access to healthy food. And, I mean, many people live in food deserts as well. You know, there's just not many options that are great around them. But 
And we've talked a lot about the requirements, uh, some of the drawbacks here, but what about the benefits of SNAP? Um, what do you guys think? What, what, are, what are the biggest benefits to you, Kylie? Like, what, do, what do you think the biggest benefit of SNAP, SNAP is? I think just the biggest benefit, I know when I talked to Kristen, she was very proud of the, the work they have been getting on to working to kind of get the program more flexible with the farm bill and getting what they could get. Like with the funds they had, they were able to uh, portion it relatively fairly. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Claudia, what do you think? What stands out to you as the biggest benefit of the SNAP program? Well, I've said it before like 50 times, and I'll say it again. It feeds people. You're not starving if you have SNAP, which is good. You may not be able to eat every single day. As I said, people run out of their food stamps by the end of the month, generally speaking. But you're still not starving. You're able to provide food for yourself and for your kids if you have them or any family that you might have with SNAP. And that is an awesome thing because we should not be a country where, where people face so much food insecurity. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And something else, too, is that uh, SNAP benefits are actually, you know, a good source of revenue for West Virginia because it's entirely federally funded. So in 2019, SNAP brought in nearly $400 million to the West Virginia economy and we only spent $17 million on administrative costs. So generally speaking, SNAP is very low cost to implement. Um, there's not a lot of administrative hoops or costs. Um, so that's that was a return of 24 federal dollars for every state dollar spent. So that's a very, very effective and efficient program. Like we've all mentioned, I mean, it's great at reducing food insecurity. Uh, some research shows that it cuts the prevalence of food insecurity by up to 30%. Um, it's especially impactful on more vulnerable groups like children, uh, elderly, people with low food security. Um, there was a, one study that found food insecurity among children dropped by about a third after their families received SNAP benefits for six months. And then uh, health-wise, you know, it just leads to better health outcomes. Obviously, if you're getting better access to better food, well, you're most likely going to be living a healthier life. And I know you would talk to... McCartney, right, about, um, you know, uh, working more with, like, health care and disease prevention and things, right? Yeah, so um, she, throughout our, our entire conversation, she didn't like me using the phrase uh, food insecurity. She really wanted to, really wanted to emphasize nutrition security. And so her program has been working with programs like pharmacy, like FARM pharmacy um they bring fruits and vegetables to people who need it and this particular program is when they work with certain clinics to give those in need roughly 30 dollars worth of produce a week over the course of 15 weeks and not and not only to supplement their food but to make people get high nutrition foods yeah you can play this one of the things we're trying to expand upon is connecting um, healthcare in our work. So, you know, obviously when you're talking about health and nutrition, you know, you think about like healthcare doctors, you know, like how to integrate those things. Um, especially with high rates of obesity, like how are we treating that? You know, like we are tasked with prevention. So, I mean, we're doing a lot of things and we're reaching 
broad audiences, but there are those individuals who are struggling um, with obesity and men may need like a little more intensive medical treatment or, or intervention. Um, but you know, you're only going to go to the doctor so much. So like, how do we connect um, physicians or clinics more closely with community support so we can really um, create environments that, that we're supporting people who need additional intervention. And so that's one area that we're planning to um, work more on this year, especially with kids, you know, identifying kids who are at risk earlier and referring them um, to clinics or physicians who understand how to um, treat obesity and how to work with community groups to do that. Okay, that was a different clip than I thought you were going to play, but <laughs> yeah, so a big part of what they're trying to implement with the SNAPEC program now is, um, which is actually one of the things when I asked her what she thought could improve in the program, she wanted to implement more on focusing on the health of these people who are not in the best shape to be taking care of themselves. Um, and it's really focused on kids. Kids and older people are their main demographic. One thing, too, I want to point out. Um, <coughs> I didn't really completely realize this, and I'm not sure that a lot of people do, honestly, that SNAP benefits work at farmer's markets. So it's true homegrown produce or meat that's being killed fresh, whatever. Um, one of my really good friends, Bridget Collins, who might be listening right now, actually, um, she works at a farmer's market in Maryland, and she's told me about how at the first of the month um, people come in with their kids and their food stamps, and they're able to buy good quality um you know beef chicken all that kind of stuff produce and take it home which is a really awesome thing and it's kind of heartwarming to think that people get really excited about being able to think they're going to be able to eat really good quality food for a week or so and it's kind of sad that people aren't able to do that regularly you know so i just kind of wanted to point that out yeah no definitely that's a good point and uh you had brought up uh, nutritional security, right, instead of food insecurity. I think that's a really, that's a good point, because is the idea that this is more comprehensive than just, you know, we need people to get good food? There's a lot more to the story than that. Is that kind of the idea of it? Yeah, because um, I know when we talked about, like, the prejudice um, that come with this program and how a lot of people don't have the best views on people who need to be in programs like SNAP or food stamps, um, using the phrase nutrition security um, kind of like connects more people because they're like, oh, like, yeah, like everyone deserves to live like a healthy lifestyle. And um, yeah, it was especially um, important like during the pandemic because a lot of people who thought like, oh, this would never happen to me did happen to them, especially because we're in such like a rural area, um, they were hit the hardest. When you talk about food insecurity or you talk about SNAP, it's easy for people who don't struggle with, with money, you know, financial issues to dismiss that and think, well, that doesn't apply to me or, you know, there's, um, that's, that's not who I am. But when you talk about nutrition security or the fact that rural communities are at greater risk um it's kind of a uniting thing like if you live in the state then you are at risk just by nature of of being in a rural community
Yeah, she also touched on, like, especially in rural communities, how big corporations are how people get their food. And um, in an area that's so spread out, it's harder to get to those places. And in a lot of, like, like lower-scale food markets, a lot of times they don't take benefits. Yep. Yep, definitely. Especially in a rural area, um, transportation, you know, is a big issue. Just getting to the store in the first place can be a barrier to getting healthy food. And you also mentioned during the pandemic, um, you know, one of the times when SNAP benefits really shine are actually during economic downturns. And during the pandemic, um, in April 2020, when there were huge job losses, I mean, like 15, 20 percent unemployment, uh, the number of households that relied on SNAP pretty much went up at exactly the same rate. Like if you look at a graph, it mirrored it almost exactly, um, just showing how important SNAP is when people are in financial distress. And Claudia, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, the rules were changed, uh, I think in March 2020, to, you know, increase benefits for people, um, you know, free school meals for children due to school closures, things of that nature. Um, it seems like it had a really significant impact, but it seems like they're kind of moving away from that now, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there are a lot of people who are hungry out there, so it is sad. Even even with the pandemic being over, it's not like we completely swung back to the way it was before, and the way it was before wasn't great anyways. So I actually have a Pritchard quote a little bit further up about generally how people aren't eating. I will pull that up for you right now. In my heart, I didn't realize the depth of it. We have people who come in here who, if they didn't get a meal here, they wouldn't eat that day. And yeah, that just kind of sums it up. There's a lot of hungry people out there. And, you know, if you are somebody who's food secure or what uh, Chris had said, what was it, nutritious? Nutrition security. Yeah. Yeah, if you're that, you're not going to completely realize like what she said, the depth of it, of how many people are struggling and how many people don't have a way to overcome it without government help like SNAP. Yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned, um, you know, even before the pandemic, uh, we definitely saw some issues. I mean, even going back to the recession of 2008, 2009, it's the same story. You know, as soon as we faced this really severe economic downturn, the uh, relevance of SNAP became more apparent. You know, more people were applying for SNAP benefits. Um, and more people got access to them, which is a good thing, but it's still likely not enough. I mean, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think it's around like 75% of people who qualify for SNAP benefits actually receive them. So we definitely have some work to do on that front. But even still in its current form, it's very effective at preventing poverty. Um, data has shown that the program keeps around 8 million people, including 3.6 million children above the poverty line, which is, you know... Follow us on Twitter at U92 underscore FM. Sorry, sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> uh, just, you know, things happen, things happen. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and even economists, um, you know, regard SNAP as one of the most efficient forms of economic stimulus. Uh, Moody's Analytics, which is a very famous analytics company, estimated that in a struggling economy, so, you know, during COVID, during the recession, every dollar increase in SNAP benefits generates around $1.70 of economic activity. So, you know, we were talking about earlier, it does cost 
certainly it costs a lot to maintain these programs, but the benefit of maintaining them is that you generate um, economic growth. You know, people can spend money in their own community. I think you had talked, you had mentioned that earlier, right, Claudia, how this is important for growth within communities, you know, people spend money. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it definitely, um, I had mentioned earlier the Gus Schumacher Nutrition Incentive Program. I really hope I say, I'm saying his last name right. Um, and the Produce Prescription Program, those both encourage people to spend their benefits at farmer's markets, like I was talking about with my friend that works at a farmer's market, which helps local farmers, and that's exactly what we want. You know, we want a boosted small community you know, we want the economy to be good on a smaller level as well as a larger level. And SNAP directly helps on a smaller level. And it helps keep farmers afloat in areas like West Virginia, where there are a lot of food deserts. It keeps them afloat and it helps them continue to farm. And it also, I mean, there's a lot of climate and cultural impacts to doing that as well for a local food system to benefit people. You know, you're not having chickens crammed into cages that are the size of your fist. You know, it's like, there, it's... It, Overall, there are a lot of benefits. You know, it's not just eating healthy. It boosts the economy, which is something that we all want. Yep. No, definitely. Fantastic point there. Um, yeah, but it just seems like, you know, there, the urgency isn't there when it comes to a lot of lawmakers uh, for passing something that is so urgent. Um, do we have any idea of where we're at right now? I mean, we're in mid-November right now. Um, do we have any idea when the next farm bill might be getting signed into law? They will be going over it in likely December 2023, although they did just push back some of their uh, legislative choices in September. So we will see if they actually do anything. It's, it's definitely one of those bills that kind of goes under the radar, especially with SNAP kind of being shoved in at the end of it. Um, there's really not a, a ton of information that you can even find out about it out there and about when they are going to vote on this and who's supporting what and what opinions they have. You know, there's really not a lot of information. It definitely goes underneath the ra radar. So it's something to keep an eye out for because it impacts a lot of people. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, when you all were doing research, did you find any uh, valuable resources that, you know, we could give to anybody, you know, anything online or in person they can look up to maybe uh, help if they're struggling with uh, meeting their nutritional requirements? The SNAP website is a great place to start. You know, there's a lot of people that are eligible that do not use it, like we discussed. Um, so if you do ever feel like, man, wish I could have gotten more strawberries at the grocery store, but they were just too dang expensive, go apply for it. We have the funds to do it. It's a good program, and it helps more people than you think. And it's not something to be ashamed of to ever want to eat healthier and lead a healthier lifestyle. And, uh, Kristen talked about um, reaching out to the extension program here at the university. They have a lot of resources to get you started. Um, then also, she does a lot of work with Mountaineer Food Bank. This is mostly for younger kids. Um, they do like a kids market program where they distribute fruits and, veg fruits to and vegetables to kids at schools. Um, yeah, she just give those resources out. Yeah, one other thing too, um, for every food bank meal contributed snap contributes nine meals so that is definitely something to keep in mind too is food banks are great they're awesome but snap can go above and beyond what we have otherwise wow yeah definitely significant there um what about the community kitchen what's the easiest way to you know gain access to that you can literally just show up on at, at any weekday i think they serve around 11 o'clock you can go in get in line get your food you can stay there you can take it it doesn't matter you 
you, sh- you that is something that should also definitely be taken advantage of because those are really kind people in there that have the resources and the want to help people and it's I think it's a really awesome program. They're really cool in there. Check it out. And volunteer, because they always need more volunteers. And also donate food if you want. Yeah, no, definitely. And same thing with the rack. Uh, if you're a student here at WVU and if you're struggling getting healthy uh, food, you know, if you're falling behind a little bit, even if you don't realize, you know, like you're eating ramen, you're eating things, but you're just not meeting those nutritional requirements, just, you know, you can look up the rack, you can go in there, and they will provide you with free, good food. So. I, I don't have too much else. Uh, yeah, I think that ties up if, about everything that we had. If you all had anything else that you wanted to add, or are we, we all good? Keep keep an eye out on all this Farm Bill stuff, though, for sure. It's it's definitely something to be aware of and be able to point out to your legislators. Yeah, legislators like hold them accountable available. for what yeah. they're doing with it. Yeah, well, on that note, um, you know we're going to be signing off here for <laughs> Hills and Headlines, the U92 news program. Uh, yeah, appreciate everyone for listening. So. If you want the new and essential college radio, then look no further than the new music pioneer on 91.7. Every Monday through Thursday from noon until 6 p.m., tune in to hear the newest music from up-and-coming artists, along with some of our favorite throwback tracks. Again, Monday through Thursday, noon to 6 p.m., right here on U92 The Moose. Do you like sports? How about a new perspective on it? It's the Spartaneer Podcast with myself, United 2 Sports Director, Tanner Labor, and my good friend from Michigan State, Ethan Hunter. We talk about everything from the NHL to pizza, college basketball, and golf, and whatever deep dive we have for you this week. It's the Spartaneer, a cross between East Lansing and Morgantown, with roots in Columbus. Join us weekly as we discuss and laugh about what's happened. Find it on your preferred podcast platform by searching the Spartaneer or at United2TheMoose.com. That's S-P-A-R-T-A-N-E-E-R. Spartaneer.
Look, all I'm saying is, I want shorter songs with dirtier sounds made by people who break their backs to get paid less. Then if we got a show for you, check out the high energy sounds of DIY only on U92 The Moose. This show features everything punk of new and old, from Bad Brains to Blink-182, and everything in between. DIY is every Friday, 10 p.m. to midnight. 10 to midnight on U92 The Moose.
Laughing at your own songs again. How we laughed. You make me laugh. Well, what does that say? What does that say? When I have accepted that no one else will make me laugh like that ever again.
How's it going, folks? You are tuned in to Morgantown Sound here on WWVU-FM Morgantown, home of U92, the Moose. Right now in Morgantown, we're sitting pretty at about 51 degrees outside, nice and a little bit chilly. Uh, better better than what we've seen earlier in the week. I don't know why it was like 70 degrees pushing there this weekend, but uh, oh well. Uh, tonight, we're going to see a low of 32, so it's going to drop real fast here uh, upcoming soon. we got clear weather for the rest of the night. You're going to see sunny uh, tomorrow, high of 53, low of 27. So it looks like we're, well, I was about to say it looks like we're getting into winter, but then we got 65 and a 67 highs on Wednesday and Thursday, respectively. So no idea what's going on there. I know the old uh, saying for West Virginia is if you don't like the weather, just wait 15 minutes, it'll change.